0: Hey, we are so blessed here at City Lights Church um, to, to be partnered with uh, several churches in the area. But one of the things that we're, we've been really blessed with, and I'll be honest with you, that I've blessed, that been, have been blessed with and think it's going to benefit you as well is to have some godly men in my life who uh, have really have more experience than I do, who are more knowledgeable. And uh, so one of those um, men is here this morning. I've asked him to come speak to you all and uh, to just share a message from, from the Word with you and uh, this man is my coach he's on my elder board what that means is he makes he helps make financial decisions Um, he holds me uh, accountable and uh, I think you're just really gonna be so blessed by him this morning so if you would do me a big favor and welcome Dr. Dan Grider to the stage And uh, I, I love to see really how God has just been working in this church and, and working in Peyton and really affecting lives. I mean, this is going to have a huge ripple impact throughout this community. The City Lights is a church that is focused on Scripture, focused on Christ. Uh, Peyton is just a great guy, and uh, he and Ariel, uh, they, they've made a huge commitment to be uh, uh, you know investing in this community. It's, it's their home community, and God is just using it in a great way. So I appreciate you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Maybe you're new here, maybe you just walked in, this is your first time, or maybe you've been here for a while, but this church really is a great place to call home. I really am pleased to be a part of this church, and we're we're planting churches all over the the country. We've launched something called the Ignite Church Multiplication Network, and we're launching churches really uh, uh, in about nine states, and uh, 53 churches uh, will be launched in, in the last four years uh, by the time we get to the end of this year. and So we're just seeing some exciting things happen. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn with me to Second Timothy. We're going to look in the third chapter here in a few moments. Uh, let's just pray together. Father, I just I pray that your Spirit would just move across this room, that you would use us and that you use this time. Spirit, we need you. Uh, we just cry out to you. We want to be different. We want you to make us different. We invite you just to change us and to do what only you can do in us. Uh, we need to hear from you today, Uh, and we just cry out to you and ask you just to move our hearts today, Uh, in Jesus we pray, amen, amen. I I don't know about you, but I get kind of caught up in routine and everyday life stuff, and it just kind of sucks me in. Uh, if you notice that it kind of goes like this, you can just kind of go through the, road, the motions and the routine and just kind of do the everyth- everyday thing. And, and before long, it's been a week, and then it's been a month, and it's been two months, and then it's been a year. And, and things just kind of, this time seems to go quickly. Uh, and, and, and yet, sometimes you, you intend to do something, you intended to be at a certain place in your life, and you realize, I'm not to where I want to be in my life, or this should have happened by now, or. Maybe you've had some of those thoughts, some of those reflections. Uh, the reason why we do that is because it's something that God placed in our hearts. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter, it says, in, in verse 11, it says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. You and I, we have eternity placed in our hearts. And that's what causes us to be different from our pets and our animals. Uh, you know, If you've ever grown up around farm animals, I grew up on a farm, uh, you know, I, I never saw... Uh, you know my dogs or cows or horses really struggle with the meaning of life. you know I, I never saw those farm animals really struggle with you know they 're behind schedule and their life is not what they thought it should be when they got to this marker point in this life you know they just They just eat and you know sleep and you know have you know offspring. It's pretty basic for them. But God has put something in your heart and in my heart that kind of aches. There's this restlessness that he's put in us. But what we do so oftentimes as humans is we kind of numb that. We kind of self-medicate it. And we do it by busyness. And we do it by maybe alcohol or maybe even smoking some weed or whatever people do that they, they are just even just Sometimes just loving your family and loving the people around you, which are wonderful things, but sometimes we can so focus on just the people around us that we don't look at the bigger picture of what God has for us. Even good things can can distract us, things that are beautiful, things that God gave us, our job, our family, our kids, and sometimes we just kind of self-medicate ourselves where we numb ourselves, where we miss the bigger picture that God has put us on this earth, for a reason, for a specific reason, and and without knowing it, we we know something is missing. We know that something is is not there. And um, have you ever left vac- left home on vacation and you stop? And you say, D- "I don't know what, what's wrong. I don't know. I'm just feeling like I I, I forgot something. You know, I, I'm missing something. You ever felt that way? Um. I think we kind of have a, that feeling about a bigger part of our life. Sometimes we go through our life, many of us go through our life feeling like we've missed something, feeling like something's not right. You know, did I leave the iron on? Was it? Did I leave the water running? Did, did we close the garage door? That's the conversation we have all the time in our family. Did we close the garage door? I think it went down. Did you see it go all the way down? I think I saw uh, And how many times do we turn around and go back? Yeah, it's down. Okay, so anyway, do uh, you have those conversations during your family too? I mean, you know, there's this haunting feeling something's not quite right. We, we've missed something. Uh, but the bigger picture is we feel that oftentimes in our life because we know that our life was not meant just to go through the motions. Our life was not meant just to go through routine. Our life is meant for something bigger. I'll tell you what really happened to me when I was 19 really helped me a lot. Uh, I was 19, I, I was uh, just had started college, um, and uh, actually, I think I was 18, as I recall. And I woke up one day, and there was some doctor standing over me. And I looked around, and I was in a hospital room. And that's that's, a, that's an experience that's, uh, that is rather disturbing. And they say, what do you remember? And I said, uh... They said, do you remember your accident? I said, yeah, I do. I was playing basketball. I had my face crushed, and uh, I went in for surgery. They said, do you remember anything since that time? Um, and I could remember and put some things together. And everybody was really, really nice to me. I mean, they were, whatever you want, we'll get it for you. And I did not realize what had happened, but what I'd experienced was in surgery, My heart had stopped, and they had to defibrillate me. And then it still wouldn't go on. I had to defibrillate me. Clear, body jumps up. Clear. And every time they would jumpstart my heart, it would stop. And that that has some potential problems um, if your heart won't run. And uh, they got it running, and they were like, "He's awake." Whoa! Well, what do you remember? And, and it's just like, for me, it was like, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, I guess I and I did remember some things. And I did have kind of some experiences while I was out. But that's not the point. The point was, in that moment, they were really fragile with me. Because they, they basically were saying to my parents, get his things in order. Because even though he's young and he's healthy, I mean, I was running like, 10 miles about three times a week. I was working out, trying to make a college basketball team. You know, I was running about 40, 50 miles a week. I was, in, I was lifting weights. I was in great shape. But if your heart won't run, it doesn't matter how great sh- shape you're in. If your heart doesn't run, you know, it's over for you. And they said at any minute, his heart will just, will probably quit. And then it Maybe we can jumpstart it. Maybe we can't. But you just need to get this stuff in order, okay? When you get that message and you're 18, it really sobers you up because you don't know how many more minutes or maybe maybe those minutes move into days. Maybe those days move to weeks, but you don't know if those weeks will ever move to months again. And so all of a sudden, you're, you're slapped with this reality that you've, that tick, 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 tick you're hearing maybe be a, a bomb. is about to glow, go off in your chest. And how long you have sobers you up. So if you were told you only had 30 days to live, or maybe you don't even have 30 days, maybe all you have is 30 minutes, but you don't know how long you have, that will sober you up. But the reality, isn't, isn't that the case with every one of us? I mean, every one of us are really in that situation. We just don't know it. Because here's the thing. Every one of us in this room are terminally ill, aren't we? Is there anyone in this room that's not terminally ill? We just don't know at what point we terminate. But every one of us are terminally ill. Every one of us will die at a point down the road. Some shorter, some longer. The Apostle Paul wrote this passage, and he only had 30 to 60 days to live. Now, he writes this passage, and I think that the last words a person writes are very powerful words. You know there's no fluff when a person writes their final words. You know you've gotten down to the, the heart of really what matters. And this past summer, I sat on the same rock that Paul sat on when he wrote these words. It's in the Mamertine prison in Rome. And in this Mamertine prison, it's about the size maybe of this part of the stage right here. And there was probably 20 to 30 other guys in there. And he was awaiting execution. And he writes these words to Timothy. And there's his final words. He's wrapping things up. There's a few more words that come after this. But this is the essence of what he's writing. I'm going to read it from the message version of Scripture. In 2 Timothy 3.1, and the Apostle Paul is, is writing this. He can hear the drip of the water running down the walls in the Mamertine prison. It's dark. He says to Timothy and to all of us, it will be difficult to be a Christian. He's talking about, and, and he says, and he poses it as the last days, which are the days that you and I are living in. He says, this time is coming where it will be difficult to be a Christian. For people will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud and scoffing at God, disobedient and ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll betray their friends. They'll be hot-headed. They'll be puffed up with pride, always looking for a good time and loving pleasure rather than loving God. And they'll go to church and occasionally act religious, but they won't really believe anything that they hear. They'll reject the power that could make them godly, that could change their life, that could flow into them, that would make them different, transform. Don't assume that people like that are Christians. They are far from God. In this passage, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he's telling him to be sober. And what he's telling him is there's a temptation for people in the, in the last days to go through religious motions and not really have anything of substance happening in their life, and to, not, and to call themselves Christians but not be any different from the rest of the world, that they can just kind of blend in, and there's really no difference from Christians and non-Christians. I don't know if you know it, but statistics tell us that now Christians have the same basic exact statistics as non-Christians in terms of divorce, in terms of bankruptcy, in terms of suicide. I mean, but, but here's the difference. That's not the way it's always been. In the past, if you gave your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit came inside and began to live in you, you became radically different from the culture. Your marriage succeeded. You had a peace and a contentment. Things, I mean, because God began to work in your life and began to dramatically change and transform your life. But what happened in the process? What's going on? Why are we no different from anyone else? Because I think it's, we don't understand really what God wants to do in our life and needs to do in our life. And I think that here's the big picture, and this is kind of the, the one phrase I would say is that we've forgotten that every single day matters. We've lost our eternal perspective. Here's what happens. Uh, we, we, we've been given, on average, about 80 years. Actually, the, the average lifespan uh, is getting really close to 80 years. But what we do is we tend to live for the dot. We, tend, we become, as Christians, no different from the people who are non-Christians. We live for this little tiny dot, this little small dot of our life. The scripture tells us we're, it's like but a vapor. It, it lasts v- a very short period of time. But the reality is this dot is really not what our life is to be made of. This is not what our life is to be about. It's this little small time of 80 years. Maybe you, maybe you have less than 80 years. On average, that's about the average. But maybe you're going to live 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. I don't know how long you're going to live but certainly most of us will not exceed this one. But this is not what our life is supposed to be about. The Scripture reminds us over and over again that that we've been connected to something far bigger, this line, if you would, that goes off into eternity and just keeps going and going and going. And here's the thing is, if we're not careful, we will live only for the dot and not live for the line because the line is really what we've been set for. This is what our hearts have been jump-started for. In fact, the Bible tells us, and as I mentioned in Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that God has placed eternity in the hearts of men and women. He's placed this line in us, and, and not just this dot, but we in this country, in this culture, live so for the dot that we've forgotten about the line. The line is really what we're supposed to be living for. The line is what we were placed on this earth for, not the dot, but we've so focus on the dot, we so over-focus on the dot, that we miss really what God wants to be doing in our lives. And in this passage, when Paul tells this this advice to Timothy, he says, for people will love only themselves, 2 Timothy 3, 2, and their money. They'll be boastful and they'll be proud. And what does he mean? He's saying there's going to be difficult times when people will focus on the wrong things. In fact, as I read those past, that passage to you, it, it's shockingly normal. It's actually what almost everybody does. It's not even surprising hardly anymore to us that people would live for money, that they would live for themselves. They'll live for the moment. They'll be boastful and proud. They'll be disobedient. They'll be ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. And it didn't happen all at once. It gradually happened. It began to just kind of creep into our culture. It says they'll become hard headed, unloving, unforgiving. They'll slander others. Would you say those things are true? Have you, let me ask you have you looked at Facebook? Um, I mean, have you looked at social media at all? I mean, how loving are we toward each other? How slanderous are we toward each other? Have no self control. They'll be cruel. Says, it goes on and, and just describes, it says, this, these things happen gradually. And, and, and what happens is we get numbed into this place where we don't live for the line, we live for the dot. We, we make it so much about the dot that we lose our perspective, that we make everything about the dot. And when we do that, serious things happen. And, and Paul says they'll even betray relationships, hot-headed, puffed up with pride, always looking for a good time, loving pleasure, not loving God. What happens when we live for the moment, we forget what God wants to be doing in us and how he wants to design us. And here's the point, is that every single day in our life matters. We forget this, but every single day matters. I want you to say that with me. Every day matters. Say it with me. Let's say it again. Every day Think about it. I mean, if God has put eternity in our hearts, Every day that we live matters not just for the dot. Every day that we live matters for the line. It matters for eternity. It doesn't, the dot is not the focus. The line is the, that's what, that's what our lives matter for. That's what Paul says in this passage to Timothy. He says, Timothy, there's a sobriety that's going to have to be, you're going to have to be living in in these last days. Tell the people that that's what they need to be prepared for. There's a, there's a kind of a story, a Middle Eastern story, about the merchant and the pigeon. And it's, it goes like this. The, the merchant set up his shop like he did every day, and he began to bellow plump, juicy fat worms for sale. And one day, the pigeon would just kind of flutter around and listen to his, his spiel. And so finally, the pigeon came to him. And the pigeon says, I have no money for these worms. And the merchant said, that's all right. He said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll take a feather of yours in exchange for a worm, a fat, juicy, plump worm. The pigeon said, I, of course, I'll do that. And the merchant said, just, just take your pick. Pick the biggest, most juicy, plump worm you can find in the batch, and it's yours. He plucks the feather, and the pigeon paused and looked and grabbed the worm, he slowly devoured that worm. He had never tasted such an amazing, delicious worm like that worm. It was not like any worm he'd ever eaten before. How easy. I did not have to scurry and scrap for a worm for the day, for the meal, just it cost him a feather, and the bird fluttered off. The next day, when the merchant came back to his post, The pigeon was sitting there waiting for the merchant. And the pigeon said, is the deal still on for today? And the merchant said, my fine-feathered friend, for you, yes. Pick the best and the biggest, most plump worm you can find. He plucks the feather and the pigeon swallows down the worm. And that goes on day after day after day. The pigeon loving the worm that the merchant would give him. Just simply cost him a feather. And one day the, the pigeon comes ready to make the deal, and the merchant said, No, not today, my friend. No worms for you. He said, All you have to offer me are these scraggly, thin, weak feathers. I, I'm not interested anymore. The pigeon began to flap his wings ready to fly off and he noticed something he noticed he gained weight because he no longer was scrapping for worms he no longer was active like he had been he he now had gained weight and now his wings had no feathers on them at all nothing was left the merchant grabbed the pigeon by the neck and threw him in the cage laughing what had happened to the pigeon is what happens to every one of us. God gives us a life. I don't know how long a life he be, he gives us all a dot. And we live so for the dot that we make our entire life about the dot. And we forget about the line. We forget about really what we've been made and crafted for. And we have a spiritual enemy who deceives us and tricks us. The merchant was not interested in feathers whatsoever. The merchant was able to acquire a pigeon for a handful of worms. And, and we have a spiritual enemy who tricks us into giving our life to him for a handful of worms, for a few dollars, or for a few highs, or for a few whatever things that we deem valuable, and it weakens us, makes us small and frail and fractured. And before long we're in a cage and the addictions and the things that we thought would set us free no longer have the buzz that they had before and now we're looking through a gilded cage. No longer free. No longer living the way that God designed us. Living, Having lived for the dot, we've lost perspective of the line completely. It happens to every one of us in some measure, some fashion, some form. But Jesus reminds us, when you read the scriptures over and over again, everyday matters, small things matter, how you live your life really does matter. He's not focused on morality or how you behave. He's focused on where your heart is. Because he says, for where your heart is, there your treasure. That's what you really value. Uh, there was this movie, there's been this concept out for years called The Butterfly Effect. And there was actually a really bad movie made a few years ago about it. But The Butterfly Effect says this. It really is kind of a spiritual principle. The idea is when something as innocuous and small as a butterfly flaps its wings, it can have an effect. And, and The Butterfly Effect just simply says this. Your life, even though it's small, and even though you may think it's insignificant, and even you though you think it may not matter... Those are the deceptions of the enemy. Your life does matter. The small and seemingly insignificant things that you do has huge consequences and huge ripple effects into eternity. Jesus talked about you can take a little small grain of a mustard seed and it becomes the largest of trees. Jesus talks about the fact that even though this door is small, it matters how you enter into it, and it takes humility to get in. Jesus talks about small things that become large. He, become, he talks about that over and over again he describes this concept that our lives, even though they seem small, they really do matter. In fact, he says this in Luke 6.22. Blessed are you when people don't like you, when they, ex- when they exclude you and insult you and reject you or call you evil because of me. He says rejoice in that day, leap for joy, because even though the small things that are going on right now, even though these small frustration things he says, great is your reward in heaven. There's this great response in heaven. There's this butterfly effect. There's this small thing. Small things that happen here have huge consequences in eternity. In Luke 16, 10, he says, when you're faithful in small things, I'll give you the ability to be faithful with much. Small things you do now have huge impact down the road. It has a huge spiritual effect. Everyday matters. Say it with me again. Everyday matters. Say it again. Every. Every day matters. How you live your day, what you do with your day, what you do with your life really does matter. And here's the bottom line. It's very easy to follow God because all he wants you to do is to use your one and only life in a simple, everyday, passionate way where it's available to him today. Every day matters. It's seemingly small and insignificant, but it is big. It's not very complex. It's not very hard. Jesus wants to use your life. He wants you to take your life and not to focus on the dot, but to focus on the line. He wants you to think differently. He wants you to operate differently. He wants you to invest in what really matters. I want us to wrap up our time today. I want to read a story to you. And uh, this is actually a journal that was written by a student at the University of Florida. And it's not... This isn't her journal, but um, I just have a a copy of it, and this is, um, maybe you've heard the story, maybe you have or haven't, but um, her name is Alicia, and um, and she met her roommate, Krista, and uh, these two girls uh, journeyed through a regular semester at school, and the first girl, I'm sorry, her name is Ashley. And Ashley, um, her parents had divorced when she was younger. Her dad never did remarry, but her mom remarried a guy, and she became a Christ follower. And her life began to change, change radically. Well, Ashley had, had never really heard much of Christ, even though Her mom, as she kind of got pumped up, got her into youth group and got her into church and did that whole thing. But actually, when she went to the University of Florida, uh, walked away from the whole church thing that her mom tried to push on her. She moved in with her boyfriend and she was sharing an apartment with him. And this may be a little um, uncommon, maybe from what you would hear in church, but it's no different from what you'd hear uh, when you watch TV. So I'm just going to share this journal. This is actually... The words from her journal. Her roommate became a Christ follower just a few weeks before that, began to really change. She began to live for the line and not for the dot. And this is just kind of um, her journal, her response. This is my final semester of college. Okay. So M, her boyfriend, is officially out of the apartment, and I'm so glad he's gone. I've loved him for the last two years. I still do love him so much, but I'm renting out one of the rooms because I really don't want to live alone. That's where her roommate, Krista, comes in. I rented out before winter break to this quiet girl named Krista. She seems sweet, but turns out she's a fruitcake. She's into all that God- blank. I'm going to have to give you blanks on some of her wording here. I'm pretty sure she's more wacko than mom is. And Jacob or Jeff or all those crazy Christians. I asked her what she did over winter break. She said she went home and then came back early to go to a conference in Atlanta. I made the mistake of asking what kind of conference it was. Apparently it's the greatest thing she's ever done. He said God really changed her at this passion conference I don't link passion and God together but whatever so like yeah it's the best thing she's ever done she needs to get out more a whole lot more so that's a new fruitcake Jeremy's her guy and that boy hates me he, we worked on a group project together last year for children's lit he made it clear he thinks he's better than me He'd get along with my mom. He's a little holier than thou, Bible thumper. I really hope fruitcake is not crazy as he is. Otherwise, it's going to be a long, blanking semester. School this semester is going to be a breeze. I'm going to party like it's 1999. This semester is going to be fun. I'm going to have the time of my life before I can no longer hide behind the fact that I'm in college. Well, LOL. I'll be back later. Five days later, Em and I are back together again. What kind of? I do love him so much. He came over last night. We hung out with J, C, C, and F. And we were all just drinking and watching a movie. And the lights were out. And, of course, Em and I quit watching the movie right after the credits. We were amazing together. He didn't say anything about us being officially together again. But he did spend the night. He said he had class, and So do I. So I have to run give a few days further in her journal okay so it's been a few days since I've been here I've been so busy I went running today I was running past one of the buildings in the complex and I see him's car and then he comes out of this girl's apartment I just kept on going he had the same clothes on he had when I saw him at C's house last night he told me last night he still needs a little time to figure out what he wants so I was like well that's cool But there's only one reason he would sleep at that blank's place last night. I can't believe he slept with that blank, blank, blank. I ran an extra three miles and finally came home dripping in sweat. Mind you, it's still 40 degrees outside. I'd already taken off my jacket. I came in and went straight to the kitchen, walking past Krista and pulled the beer out of the fridge and ice cream out of the freezer. I jumped on the counter and drank my beer and ate ice cream and just cried. And Krista asked me if I was okay. I said... Blank, no, I'm not okay, fruitcake. Then she grabbed a container of ice cream out of the freezer and sat down at the table. Why the blank do you have so much ice cream in the winter? Seriously, there are three more containers in there. I really wanted her just to leave me alone. But since she was not going to do that, I asked her what was wrong with her. I mean, she obviously doesn't drink. She doesn't go to clubs. She asked me what I meant. So I asked her why she was the way she was. And all that she said was God. She said it was her goal to live a life that Christ would be proud of. And I laughed. I couldn't help it, but fruitcake was serious. I asked her if she ever slept with Jeremy, the guy she's dating. And she said no. And when she gets married, she'll be a virgin. Wow. Those are still around these days? God. She said that they had been dating for a year now. I've not dated a guy for three weeks and not slept with him. I can't imagine that long without sex. The girl is a fruitcake. Then she said it was because she had a personal relationship with God. I do have to admit she's different from the Christians I know, but she's still a fruitcake. Then she asked me why I was so upset, and I told her about him wanting more time apart and seeing him come out of this other girl's apartment. I can't believe how much one guy can mess me up. I told her about all the blank he's put me through and how he used me and cheated on me. And you know what? She did not even give me all that Christian crap mom always gives me. I mentioned to her, a fruitcake just sat there and listened to me Then, She didn't criticize me when I was done. All she did was say, wow. Ashley, I'm really sorry he's done that to you. And then she did it. She asked me if she could pray for me. And I laughed. I jumped off the counter and I said, I need a shower. After my shower, Krista was gone. I just sat on the couch and cried. I can't figure this Krista girl out, her little Bible-thumping world. You know, she actually reads her Bible, like, a lot. I see it move around the apartment, from the kitchen to the living room, even to the office. I should be the enemy to her, the one she wants nothing to do with. The one she's better than. The one she wants to prove she's better than. But she doesn't even seem to think she's better than me. It also seems that this God and Jesus stuff are real to her. I don't understand fruitcake at all. Then the fruitcake and I went running together. I cannot believe she actually kept up. This is January 18th. Who knew Christians could run? An amazing thought. Next day. Okay, so I find out what makes Krista so different from every other Christian I've ever known. She didn't look down her nose at me. She's really nice to me and acts just like she wants to be my friend. It doesn't make sense. No one ever wants just to be Ashley's friend without getting something in return, especially not a Christian. See, God's not for people like me. And Jacob's supposed to be the only Christian who does not judge me, and that's because he's my brother. Fourteen days later, Okay, today, I did it. This morning, fruitcake and I were in the kitchen, and I asked her why all this God stuff is so important to her. She told me it was because he truly loves her, and he was the closest friend. So I asked her what she meant by that, and she said exactly what I said. She said, God is all about love, and God's love is the greatest thing ever. So then I was like, why do you live all perfect like you do? And she laughed and said, I'm not perfect by any stretch. She says, I've just been given a new life in Jesus. And there it goes, that Jesus stuff. She said that she was at this passion conference, and there were like thousands of people there with nothing nothing lives in Atlanta. And she was reminded that God loves not only her, but also the rest of the world. And he sent his son to die for us all, basically the Easter story. I've heard that over and over again. Mom used to take me to church. I got it. And I hated it. I quit going when I was in high school, first time I was able to. I'd stay at Dad's place all the time. See, God's not for people like me and my dad. He's for people like Fruitcake. Because I'm way too screwed up for God to care about me at all. Fruitcake had to go to work. So we had in our conversation. She said she'd love to talk some more time when she got home. I told her, yeah, Maybe four days later. Okay, so I'm back again. Blank has been crazy today. Crazy enough to make me come back here twice in one day. No actual, so no actual homework got done today. I cried, shopped, cried, ate, ran, cried, ate again. So you get the picture. There's a lot of crying today. I didn't answer my cell. Literally the 17 times he called me and blew it up. Well, I'm on the couch, went Cape got home. She sat down and asked me if I wanted some ice cream. I couldn't help but laugh. More ice cream, what's up with you? She sat there in silence for a real long time, and I asked her how much God was going to punish her for living with a screw-up like me. She just looked at me. She said, Ashley, see, God's not like that at all. He, He really does love you and me. I told her I knew all about this God stuff, and I was way far too gone for that way too far screwed up to even think about God and this kind of love I'm not a religious nutcase like my mom or her family as much as I love them they are crazy so she pulls out a couple of DVDs off the shelf and they were sermons on DVD I couldn't believe it fruitcake had sermons on DVD I agreed to watch anyway not like I had anything better to do this Louie guy was talking about God differently than I've ever heard before It's kind of weird. He made it sound like God was for everybody. He made it sound like God who created the universe really cared about all of us. Then, when that was over, Fruitcake asked me what I thought, and I told her I didn't buy it. I told her that God was not for people like me. I'd already told her that. She asked me if I wanted to watch another talk, a.k.a. Preacher Man on DVD. I said, yeah, whatever, again, I had nothing better to do. So we watched one called The Passport. And this one, this guy talks about how Christians don't have to hope for the best in the end, that, that people don't have to do enough good stuff and just hope things go, work out for them to get to heaven. It made sense. Like I could know I was going to heaven and I could know I had a relationship with God. Pretty weird, huh? Then this guy started talking about grace and how God is a loving and forgiving God and, and he wants to forgive us. It all made so much sense. can hardly breathe now though. Seriously, I thought I was sitting and and oxygen was not going to flow through my lungs the way it should. It's like the DVD ended. Fruitcake looked up at me and I was crying and trying to regain control of my lungs and breathe and gather my thoughts and ask her, is what he said really true? Could he really love me? that God could even love screw-ups like me? And she said, yeah. It sounds so easy that what I have to do is just stop fighting him and that he will save me, she said. I've heard the salvation bit my whole life, never wanting to do with it, but I never agree with the whole deal at all. But wow, wow, who would have thought that what Fruitcake explained could happen to me? She says, it's because God is so gracious and loving and He forgives. And then Christ took care of everything on the cross and He did not just die, but the most important thing is He rose, Easter thing, right? And that Christianity is the only deal where we get to worship a God who's walked the earth, who lived and knew what I would go through. So there on my couch, I'm in the living room where a lot of blank has gone on. I decided I wanted what fruitcake had and I wanted what mom and Chet all had. I wanted this thing in my, called grace, and so I, she just said, just just pray. And so I, I said, Jesus, I want you to come in and, and clean up all this blank, blank, blank I've made a blank of, and forgive me and all the mistakes I made. And I told the God I'd messed up a lot, and I even was screwing up this prayer because I even cussing in the prayer. But I had a sense that He was going to be okay with that, and I wanted to be a Christian. So there you have it. Like I'm a Christian now. I feel these huge weights have been lifted off my shoulders and I can breathe again. And like, it's going to be okay. I feel like I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. I know all this sounds crazy. I really am sober when I write this. I promise. Fruitcake said that she's been praying for me since the first day she moved in and asked me if, if, if I love God. And then we got out the ice cream. And I'm gonna get fat with fruitcake hanging around. This is uh, two weeks later. I went to a Bible study with her and with Krista, and, and that was actually kind of fun and cool. Everyone was there, like, "Hey, Ashley," they didn't make me feel awkward and stuff. It was wasn't like church had been. It was like I belonged there. They sang some songs, and I didn't know any of the words, but it's like it was really cool. And I looked up the lyrics. I don't know why, but I just start crying every time I hear these lyrics and sing them. I just want to lift my hands up like they did. Just, the song says this crazy words like, Jesus, take me like you found me. With all my fear and failures, all my screw-ups, he loves me just like I am. And so she writes the lyrics of the song. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness. The kindness of a Savior. The hope of nations. My Savior, He can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He's mighty to save. Forever the author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures fill my life again. I give my life to follow. Everything I believe in now I surrender. Shine your light and let the whole world see. We're singing for the glory of the risen King. This is this is a, an entry, April 28th. It's the last entry in her journal. It says, I went surfing today with Jake and Stephen. They surfed. I lay on the beach. I worked on my tan. I need to look great for graduation pics tomorrow. I'm driving back to Gainesville. And I can't wait to go to this crazy church and meet my new friends. that was the last entry in her journal because on a trip back to Gainesville that night she was uh, in an auto accident and she didn't survive Um, but um, what happens is um, her friend just realized that, that her small life could matter that every day matters, that instead of just going through the motions of just living her life the way she always had, she began to make her life available to God, and she began to live for the line instead of living for the dot. Because she did that, this this young girl, Ashley, began to really explore who Jesus was through the life of her friend Krista. See, the enemy makes us believe that our life doesn't really matter, that we just live for the pleasure of the moment and and our feathers get plucked and eventually we don't have any capacity, we don't have any influence. Our lives are just common, routine, boring, dull lives like everybody else's life. But that's not how God made you and that's not how he made me. He made us to... matter, He made our lives to count for something. Every day matters because your life matters. Because what you do matters. Because what you say matters. He didn't want us living for the dot. He wants us to live for the line. He wants to use your one and only life to invest it in ways that matter. And maybe, maybe today you're Ashley. Maybe you have come and And you're wondering, is there anything in my life that really can count? Is there a God who really cares about me? Does He care? Do I matter? And the answer is yes. He desperately cares for you. It's the reason He's gone through all the motions and all the efforts to get to you. Today is a divine appointment for every one of us. But maybe you're more like Krista, the Christian. Maybe you if confronted with the reality that your life can matter, and you need to live for the line and not just for the dot. And today, maybe you need to say, God, I really want to live differently. I want you to come into my life. I want you to change me. I want you to work in my life. I want you to rearrange me so I'm different. I'd like to ask you just to bow your head and close your eyes with me and take a moment as you do that. Would you just do this? Would you just say, Jesus, just take me as you find me all my fear and failures, all the things that I have that are so messed up, my dull routine, my, my monotony I've lived for, the living for the line has been so far from me. I've been living for the dot. It just The living for the line is just the furthest thing from what I've been thinking about. Would you just let him begin to move you and change you? And would you just say, Jesus, I need your power. I need your spirit to come inside of me and live in me. I want you to make my life count for something. I don't want to just live. I don't want to be just going through the motions. I don't want the enemy just to slam me into a cage because I've let him strip away all of the capacities that you gave me. I don't want to trade what you've given me for just small worms, for just small little petty things. The Apostle Paul told us in that passage of Scripture that in the last days, Christians are going to get where they're no different from anybody else. He wants us to move our lives and open our lives to him. Would you allow the Spirit of God to change you? Would you allow the Spirit of God to move you and to rearrange you and to rework your life? Where you just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you to come into my life and to change me. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your power, for your Holy Spirit's presence, how he's just changed us. We need him so much. We're so desperate for him. God, move us today and just make us different? If that's your desire, if that's your prayer, if your prayer is, God, move me and change me and make me different, would you just tell him that? Would you just say, God, I just need you desperately? Would you just trust him? Would you open your life to him and say, God, I'm sorry I've been living for the dot and not living for the lie? Would you just let him know that you, you want to make a change? Would you just invite the Spirit to change you and move into you right now? Just say, Holy Spirit, I need you to change me. Only, the only way that I can be different is because you're going to make me different. Would you just let him do that? Would you just open your heart to him right now and say, Jesus, maybe you've done it a thousand of times. But today you say, God, I want to live the line. I'm sorry I've been living for the dot. I want to live differently. I want to think differently. I want to orient my life differently. Father, we love you. We thank you for your power, for your amazing presence in our lives. Thank you for Jesus. We just thank you for Jesus and how he's changed us, how he's reworked us, how he's given us a a reason to live and a hope. We love you. We thank you for your amazing grace in our lives.